The following programming is sponsored by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Rhea Gallagher, Legislative Director of the Federation. Joining me today is our guest host, Christopher Pushaw, Executive Director of the Federation, Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Maria. It's good to have you with us today. Now, yep, when a woman been a... <laughs> Sorry. when a when a woman gives birth, she can become overwhelmed. That is why it is so important to have assistance available for women in difficult circumstances. We will be talking today with a woman who has developed an innovative method for helping both mother and child. I will also be giving an update on pro-life efforts to stop the distribution of the dangerous abortion pill by mail. But first, Chris has some inspiration for us. Go ahead, Chris. Thank you, Maria. And I'm happy to be here Uh, again, just for the uninitiated. I've been on the podcast before. My name is Christopher Pushaw. I am the newly minted executive director and general counsel for the Federation. So I'm very happy to be here. Um, I, I know that Bonnie used to do these and what I drew inspiration from in the past couple of weeks, uh, taking a, taking a cue from my mother who used to always say that the Lord gives you, doesn't ever give you more than you can handle. I would always caveat that, but he likes to test you sometimes. Um, it seems like in the past year with, with Dobbs and how seismic that was and how encouraged we were. And, and then the dismay and disappointment when people would either misunderstand it or not, uh, the election cycle results weren't really reflective of, of that promise. I do think that there have been bits of of uh, triumph and inspiration, at least of the will within this movement. Uh, most recently, uh, the Mark Houck trial, I think, underscores this. Uh, Mark Houck has been a, a pro-life activist um, for the past 20 years. He's actually a very good friend of mine. Uh, we both played football together at Catholic, so we have a long history together. So when Mark was arrested and put on trial, it really hit home to me. Um, I had the good fortune unexpectedly just this past weekend of being on retreat, and Mark happened to be our guest speaker, and he had patterned his trial. I didn't think about it at the time, but I had gone a couple Thursdays ago to Center City, Philadelphia to watch his trial but it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They had a deadlock jury Friday, and he had a long weekend and was finally acquitted Monday. So he had patterned his experience to Christ and the Passion, and he did it in a way that was very powerful, but also was not blasphemous. And I just think the his witness, his courage, um, and and just the parallels for the pro life movement of just staying true to your beliefs. Um, and being really ready for ever, anything while you're witnessing to that truth, to me, was very inspiring. And I think Mark Mark's witness is, is, is an inspiration to us all. Thank you so much, Chris. Now to our legislative update. Some 20 attorneys general have released a statement noting that federal law expressly prohibits using the mail 
to send or receive any drug that will be used or applied for producing abortion. The AGs note that the law could not be clearer. In addition, these legal experts point out that the Biden administration has violated state laws by giving approval to distribute abortion pills through the mail. The letter also states that the risk of coercion is more significant when taken outside a medical facility. Mifepristone is deadly for babies and can be dangerous for women. More than two dozen women have died after taking the abortion pill, the most recent case occurring in Canada. There, a 19-year-old girl lost her life after taking the abortion pill. The widespread distribution of abortion pills endangers girls and women and must be countered to the fullest extent of the law. And now to our guest. Monica Kelsey has found a unique way to assist women and newborns in crisis, safe haven baby boxes. Her innovative idea has saved the lives of a number of babies and has helped women at a critical time in their lives. Welcome, Monica, to Positively Pro-Life. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Now, Monica, can you explain how did your program begin? Well, it actually, I think, really began when Christ uh, gave me this job when I was born, because I, I I have to go back to my beginnings to get you to understand the passion um, that comes from Safe Haven Baby Boxes and why I'm so passionate about finding an alternative for women in crisis. And, you know, back in 1972, there was no safe haven law. And uh, my birth mom was brutally attacked and raped and left along the side of the road. And this, of course, was when abortion was illegal in our country, even in the cases of rape and incest. And uh, she pressed charges against a man who had raped her. He was arrested and charged. And then she finds out she's pregnant. And she was hidden for the remainder of the pregnancy. And then she gave birth in April of 1973 and abandoned her child uh, two hours after that child was born. And that child was me. So I've, I've always been the, the, the one that felt unwanted, the one that felt unloved. And, and growing up, I, I always knew that I was adopted, but I didn't know my story. And I got to meet my biological mother when I was 37. And that's when really everything kind of made sense to me. And I happened to be in Cape Town, South Africa on a speaking tour. And I seen a baby safe in the side of the wall. And it all we all talk about that aha moment. And, um, you know, I'm also a firefighter and a medic. So I always knew about the safe haven law, but I'd never seen anything like this before. And so Christ brought me to that church in Cape Town, South Africa, because it was the only church in Cape Town that actually had a baby safe. And I happened to be speaking at that church. And and so I got my inspiration from that trip to South Africa. But the passion started many, many years before that. Thanks, Monica. That is that is extremely powerful. I was wondering about the Cape Town connection because I'd, I'd read uh, your website and uh, my sister in law actually hails from Durban. So um, <laughs> I'm glad to see that these types of uh, programs are available. Um, but as you were talking, I, I I drew the unmistakable parallel. We both seem to be born at around the same time and also drawn to this mission because of the experience of our mothers. Um, I was the caboose in my family by 13 years. And my mother had five children, uh, very devout Italian Catholic, and um, a lot of her example is what drew me to this to this movement. But more to the point, again, before you know, we could remember, uh, she was 41 when she got pregnant with me, and uh, she was, you know, undergoing what was called a geriatric pregnancy and was advised to abort me. Well, 
<laughs> you can imagine how well that conversation went. Right. Um, so, but my my question is obviously that's very powerful, and I think you do have to read the tea leaves and see the signs. Um, so that's how you got your start. What continues to drive you in this mission? Um, obviously, with your as a medic and a firefighter, you're you're around crises all the time. Uh, but we're we're just curious what what keeps you going. You know, um, even today, I was texting with a mom with a with a woman in crisis, and that is what drives me is is actually helping them. I mean, people say, "Oh, you had a baby in your box," and and I'm like, "That's great," but my my heart goes to these parents. You know, my birth mom didn't have anyone to walk alongside her back in 1972, and so I feel like this is my calling to put people in places that weren't there in 1972 for my birth mom. And so I I actually find peace walking alongside these parents. And um, and that's really where I get my drive from. I mean, I, I love when when we get a call from a fire department and they say, hey, Monica, you know, we saved another baby in our baby box. And that's great news. But that's when I also look and I, I think, OK, that's great news. But now we have a mom that feels that she didn't have any other options. And so that's when my my work begins is, is trying to um, keep her anonymity, but also let her know publicly that there's resources for her and, and we want to help her on her journey. Can you explain exactly what is a safe haven baby box? Sure. So the safe haven law has been around for 22 years where a woman uh, or a man can walk into any fire station or police station, hand their newborn child to a worker there and turn around and walk away. No questions asked. That's been on the books for 22 years. Um, We're still having babies, though, dropped at the doors on the ground of these locations. And it's clear that these parents want these babies found. They just don't want their faces seen. And so I came up with the idea of the baby box by by the time, you know, from me being in Cape Town, South Africa. But it's basically just a box that is in the, the wall. We, we cut a hole out of the side of a building, a firehouse or a hospital, and we slide the baby box into that hole like a window. And the outside of the baby box is on the outside of the building and the inside is on the inside of the building. So it's almost like another door into a firehouse. And the boxes are heated they're cooled and their alarm activated. And so as soon as that baby box is opened, it's calling 911. So parent doesn't have to do anything. Average time for babies in our boxes are right at two minutes. Well, yeah, we were, uh, that, that's, that's incredible actually. Um, that one of the things that we were, we were curious about as well, just to pull the string is after the baby is in the box and 911 is called, uh, what happens? Is there an emergency placement or adoption services or what so, happens? At that point? Yeah. So currently this is on a state by state level. So every state is different. Most states, the child goes obviously to the hospital, is evaluated by a physician and then placed with the Department of Child Services um, for a temporary foster home until the termination of parental rights, which usually happens between 30 and 45 days. A lot of our babies are with their forever families within that 30 days, but the adoption takes, you know, obviously it's not happening within 30 days, but they're at least with their forever families pretty quickly. We are trying to change a few things legislatively to get these babies with their forever families from day one. Um, So when the baby is surrendered, they go to the hospital, Parents are notified that there's a baby available, uh, and then the parents go to the hospital and then are there with this child as this child is medically evaluated and stuff like that. So, but every state is different, um, but we're very focused on getting these babies with their forever families pretty quickly. 
And how has the program expanded since your original idea? Oh, my goodness. Um, so uh, I just want to save a few babies in Indiana. And the more babies we started saving in Indiana in these boxes, the more other states were looking at us going, what is this and what are you doing? Because this had never been done in America before. And so, you know, in 20, um, 2018, we had, I believe, four babies in boxes and, you know, it it went viral. It went, people were picking it up. This was a good story. These babies weren't found in dumpsters like we're seeing all over the news. And so um, we, we got calls from Ohio. So we passed the law in Ohio and then Arkansas and we passed the law in Arkansas. And so now we're, we're legal in 11 states. We have boxes in nine of those states. And uh, we have legislation pending in eight more states. And it, it's just, it, it's amazing to see how Christ is using us and, and just paving the way. You know, we've been very fortunate to not take any government funds. We don't take federal funds. We don't take state funds. Everything that we do is by donation and fundraising. And I think that's so important for an organization that wants to be the hands and feet of Christ. You know, we, we, we want to pray with these moms on our hotline. We don't want somebody telling us that we can't. And, uh, and so uh, I'm very proud of that that the communities are coming together for the betterment of these women and these children and, and, you know, bringing in the resources and the funding to put these boxes in their communities. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, I, I, as you're, it's funny, as you're talking, it kind of raised, I mean, the lawyer and me can't be held at bay forever. Um, but it, uh, as you're talking, it's, it's interesting that to me, obviously we come from a certain perspective where we see the intrinsic sacredness and dignity and value of all life, even even lives that are that are brought onto the brought into this earth under very adverse uh, circumstances, um, it's interesting to me. Although I'm not completely surprised that only 11 states um, have have these laws in place and that there's pending legislation. Uh, Monica, what do you see as the chief impediments to your to your mission in terms of making more people aware of this, or is it? Is it pushback? Is it the fact that, I mean, let's face facts, you, you need only have listened to our <laughs> State of the Union address last night to see that there really is a culture of death and in, 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 instantiated in our in our, in our culture, in our country. But what do you see as, as the big pushbacks or impediments to, to expanding your mission? Um, you know, this is going to surprise you when I tell you this, but other safe haven organizations that were there 22 years ago passing legislation that basically said a woman has to walk into a facility and hand a child to a person. And of course, that's what we all want. We want them to walk in and hand this, the child to a person. Their goal is to get medical information and ethnicity information. And my goal is to save the life of a child. Right. And if we can get that information, then let's do it. But if we, we shouldn't make that a barrier. And, and so it is surprising that that the National Safe Haven Alliance, you know, saving abandoned babies, these organizations that are out there doing what we're doing is actually pushing us back and saying that we don't need them. And I think this year alone, I think, well, just even over the last two weeks, you know, we've had seven or eight babies found uh, dumped in our country. And, and this is this is in locations that don't have baby boxes. And then, you know, this past Monday, we just had a baby in our box in, in the state of Kentucky. And, and a couple of weeks before that, in one of our boxes in Ocala, Florida. And those are the cities that are being proactive and saying, you know what, the culture's changing. You know, 22 years ago, the, the, the law was enough. But the kids today, this this isn't good enough anymore. They want anonymity. You know, they will take their phone and they will text you all day long or they will sit behind their keyboard and become a keyboard warrior and tell you off. But they they won't do it to your face. And so we have to look at the culture also and, and say, how can we advance the safe haven law 
to protect the infant and and allow this parent to do the right thing. And and it's 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 sad, um, but we have a lot of support. We have a lot of people that that support us. And um, I think the the more babies that we save, the the more people are like, I is why wasn't this here 10 years ago? Why, why are we just now doing this? You know? Um, so that, that is kind of disheartening, but it, it is true. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because it's hard enough to get <laughs> younger people without, without sending like a millennial basher to make eye contact, <laughs> let alone, you know, something as galvanizing and traumatic as, as that experience. But yeah. as, as Marie and I would, would both say, it's not as surprising as, as you'd think to have people that you believe are kindred spirits kind of uh, at odds with your mission or, or impeding it. Um, we, the outgoing executive director, Michael Chikachopo, who I, who I replaced had a great saying, may God save us from our friends. So it sounds like that's a little bit of what's going on there. Too. Well, and you also, you look at the pro-life movement, you know, I I speak nationally and internationally about my birth mother's story. And, and I'll tell you the fighting within the pro-life movement is just horrible. It's almost like we, we just want to bow to one person or, or, or one organization. And it's like, we all have a job to do on this earth. Let's just all work together and accomplish that instead of trying to make it all about one person. Your lips Monica, excuse me, Monica, <laughs> let's go through uh, a hypothetical situation. Um, say I um, am a, a young woman who's pregnant. Um, I believe that I could deliver any day now. I'm scared to death. What should I do? Is, is there a number that I can call or text? And, and can you walk me through the process? Absolutely. We run a 24 hour hotline and we get these calls every day. Um, average, <clears throat> average calls per day or two. So on average, we get about two calls a day, but we have the same scenario happen day after day. And the first thing we, we need to do is find out how far along this parent is, how much time we have. And so we're dealing with a parent today, like I was telling you earlier that we're texting with, she's never been to the doctor. We don't know how, how far along she is. So we really don't have that much time because we don't know how much time we have. And so we're trying to get this parent to a crisis pregnancy center to get a uh, uh, an ultrasound so we can eliminate that first and then get her medical care and get her into an OB doctor and stuff like that. But if she goes into labor right now, we're out of options, <laughs> you know, it's and so but the first thing, if we do have time, so say a parent calls us and they're in their third month of pregnancy and they're just looking at all their options, you know, we're not experts when a, when a parent is three months pregnant. We are experts when they're at the end of their pregnancy and in crisis, and that baby's going to go in a dumpster or in one of our boxes. So what we do is we refer um, anyone that is not imminent delivery within a couple of weeks to optionline.org or to a local crisis pregnancy center. They're the experts. We're not going to try and reinvent the wheel and do what they can do because they do a good job. And so that's the first thing that we do. Now, if this woman is in labor, which we've had, or she's just given birth, and she doesn't want to face anyone, then we're going to we're going to look for the closest safe haven location um, first. If she wants a box, we'll give that to her last. But we want a woman to walk in and, and uh, you know, hand the child to a person because that's the safest option. And we we know that. And I mean, that's not something that we're trying to hide. We, we know that that's the safe, safest option. Um, but if she won't go in. And, and we have a box near and she says, I'm using the box. We're going to give her every resource available. And we're going to tell her how to use that baby box. 
That's interesting, Monica. That uh, it, it tripped another question I had for you. I mean, obviously, most women in crisis would see this as an absolute, but as, as you know, you demonstrate a very necessary last resort. Um, and I think some acknowledging that a lot of this depends on how far along they are in their pregnancy. Has the focus of your organization shifted to raising awareness of the safe haven laws or trying to get women into pregnancy resource uh, centers or get them counseling before this? I mean, it sounds as though they'll call and kind of, well, you know, my ace in the hole is is the baby box for various reasons, um, which which I was surprised by. I would think they would, you know, by the time they would be steered into a, a pregnancy center, um, the, the need for that would be obviated, but it sounds like it's a little bit different in your experience. Well, you know, of course we want these women to go and get help ahead of time. Uh, we're finding more and more often, though, that these women are waiting until the last few days of their pregnancy and not telling anyone. And so, and that's where we come in. That's our expertise is helping these parents find a hospital to deliver in first, or if they've already given birth, making sure baby's breathing, you know, uh, making sure mom's not hemorrhaging. You know, we have a, a, a pediatrician on our board of directors that that is a great resource for us. We have nurse practitioners that volunteer for us, you know, because these babies aren't born in hospitals. They're they're not. And and so we, we do kind of shuffle a, a couple of different things. But our ultimate goal is if this woman has time or this parent or, you know, parents have time to get into a crisis pregnancy center, that's what we want them to do. We want them to have all their options because parenting is still an option for them. Adoption is still an option for them. And then, of course, a safe haven surrender is an adoption for them. But they have three options that they need to choose, not us. We, we shouldn't be the ones making this choice for right. them. We, we have to allow these women the opportunity to make the decision for themselves. And it really irritates me when we do these, um, you know, we, we, we're huge on social media. We have 700,000 followers on TikTok. And I know TikTok is controversial, but that is the women and the men that we need to reach. And that's why we're there. Um, and then on Facebook, we have 104,000 followers. So education is there. We have to push this out there. Um, but it really irritates me when people say, well, why didn't she just choose an adoption plan? That's stupid. Why didn't she just place for adoption? And it's like, this person made a choice. Stop, stop judging her and shaming her. You know, if you chose an adoption plan or you chose a parenting plan, we're not going to shame you or judge you. So it's not fair to this person who chose something better for her child um, for, for her to be judged or shamed. And, and it's got to take a very special person to say, I want what's best for my child and it's not me. And, and that's heroic and we have to treat it as such. So tell me um, if if there is a young woman out there who's interested in connecting with you on social media, how can she find you on those different platforms? Well, we get a lot of direct messages on these social media sites and we actually have people that, that contact us and say, I, I only wanna talk to the person from the news or I only wanna talk to Monica. And so, um, they always get those those people to me immediately because most of them are, are parents that trust me. And, and that really makes me feel like I'm doing a good job because I, I thank these parents. I, I am their voice and, and I want them to trust me and I want to walk alongside them and for them to trust me and, and say, hey, I want to talk to Monica. That just that just brings me so much peace knowing that I'm making a difference today um, that my birth mom didn't have all those years ago. And so um, social media, contact us, direct message. They can go to our website. 
um, you know, and, and fill out a contact us form. They can also call the hotline, you know, the 24 hour crisis line. If they need resources right now, now I'm not a counselor. I don't pretend to be a counselor, but our counselors will give them the resources that they need. And they're licensed counselors. These aren't just volunteers that we put on the phones. These are people that have been dealing with women in crisis for many, many years. Many of them worked at crisis pregnancy centers. And so, Call us, call our hotline, you know, anything you can do to reach out, we will return uh, the email or we will return the, the message. That's, that, that's, yeah, it's fantastic. And it's also uh, interesting that, you know, you don't, it seems very woman directed that you're, you're giving them these options and giving them these resources, but not necessarily suggesting one or the other, because I think the demographic that you're serving needs that <laughs> they don't need to be steered they don't need the judgment um I, i'm just curious i mean kind of pull on the adoption string is there ever a situation while you're respecting the woman's anonymity and really i think that the word is correct she's really making a heroic act for her child do you ever find that that years later the woman that that put the child in the baby box ever wants to connect and and seek a relationship with that child um, I've never seen them want to seek a relationship, but we have had them contact us um, afterwards. Um, one of our baby's stories went public and um, the adoptive family, uh, you know, I mean, this is an adoption. They're thankful. They're happy, you know, and so they want they want to tell the world that they're parents and that they love this child. And this child was actually adopted one town over from where the, the baby was surrendered in the baby box. And so it went national. And this this parent did contact us and and ask uh, uh, if there was a way for us to put them two together so that she could at least see some pictures. And and so, you know, it, it's things like that, that I'm sure these parents that place in our boxes are curious. I, I don't think any parent that, that loves their child is not going to be curious. Um, but I, I haven't had anybody that wants to have a relationship with them just yet. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, I mean, we've had 24 babies in our boxes in the last five years. Um, and so, uh, I'm sure that's probably going to come up eventually, but um, it hasn't yet. So with just about a minute and a half left, is there anything that we didn't touch upon that you would like to add? I would just say that any parent that feels that they are out of options or they don't know their options, just call us. There's no judgment. There's no shame. There's no blame. And there's no names uh, on our hotline. You don't have to give your name. Um, but you will get resources and then you can make the decision for yourself what's best for you and your family. Um, and that's truly what we all want is for you to make what what decision you can for you and your family. Monica Kelsey, what a beautiful gift you are to the world and, and what uh, a wonderful life-saving mission you're on. And I want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for what you are doing for babies and for their mothers. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single-issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State, with more than 40 local grassroots county-based chapters. We shine a spotlight on the most vulnerable individuals from the very dawn of life to the twilight of life. To learn more about the inspiring work of the Federation, please visit our website at paprolife.org. You can also find us on all major social media. Just look for PA Pro Life. My thanks to my co-host, 
and for you, the listeners who inspire us each week. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life. Life.